Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host of this show and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show has graciously been made possible by a generous grant that we received so that we could come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in the pages of Christian Living Magazine. This is going to be a great show because I'm also joined today by my occasional co-host, Steve Bertel. Hey, Steve. Hey, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks good. for joining me today. Yeah. How are you? Good, good. So far, I've, I've avoided this flu bud that's going around. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yep, I, I have a couple of friends down with it right now. So yeah, yeah it's I'm I'm holding my breath and back to using hand sanitizer all the yep, time. There you go. <laughs> um, with us we have two special guests. We have Sam Santiago and his wife, and I'll say it wrong now that now that we're on air, I'm going to say it wrong. Rocio? Nope, you got it right. Oh yay! <laughs> uh, a young couple from CUNA. They're actually the cover story of our current issue of Christian Living Magazine. You may not have heard of them, but you certainly will want to hear their story about how they came to know the Lord after a life of drugs and darkness. Welcome, you guys. How are you? Good. good. Thank you. Good. I'm good. So, Rocio, your families knew each other. We're just going to dive in. Okay. You know, we have, we have lots to cover. <laughs> oh, so yes. We're, we're going we're gonna to sidestep the small talk, and we're just going to dive in. Yep. You, Your families knew each other. You and Sam actually grew up together. Yes. In fact, you essentially like a little sister. That's that's correct. Oh yes, I like nine or ten years old when we first met, and like he was just a young boy that was became like a family member because you know our parents met every month, you know, for for our their Bible studies. So we kind of grew like we kind of grew up together, even though we've seen each other like once a month. That's was, cool. Yeah, that's way cool. Never did I think that you know our lives would become how they are today. So yeah, because because although your parents were in Bible study, you didn't, and and we'll allude more to that later. But that yeah. was, that wasn't really your thing. No, it was not until now. But yeah, yeah. So Sam, tell me a little bit about your childhood and growing up, because as, as uh, Rocio alluded to, the, the both families knew each other, both attended Bible studies, and and both were devoutly Catholic. Yeah. So um, our our families, I'll point to mine. Uh, they were Catholics, and I'm very grateful that they're firm believers to this day. Um, so I went to church every Sunday, you know, went to Bible studies, uh, did catechism, did all that stuff. and But, yeah, I had a pretty rough upbringing. My mother left me when I was five, left me and my brother when we were about five. She just, just decided, you know— um, I'm going to leave. You know, my dad went to prison. Uh, he got out and he had some money left. And my mother had spent most of the money that he left. And he, he said, um, he loved my mom. He said, Kay, uh, I have some money left over. Uh, you could, we could either take this money and you could go to rehab and we start our lives together again. Or you could take this money and sign a notarized letter giving me my kids. And so she took the money and she left. Because she, you know, later on in life, I got to know, I got to talk to her. And she said, I did that because I know with your father, you would never need anything. And I would never change. Yeah. yeah. And so I, my upbringing was pretty rough. I yeah. was. But you were a good kid. Yeah. Well, and, and in life I've learned, you know, a lot of the being a good kid was because uh, I became a pleaser. 
my uh, father was pretty physically abusive, you know, and he wouldn't just beat me for any reason. But when I did do something wrong, he he was pretty hard on me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I became a pleaser. I wanted to make dad happy. And it, that stuck with me throughout life with people in general, mm-hmm. you know, the, that little seed grew and it became part of me. So, But then in your, in your late teen years, your life kind of went downhill. You started getting involved in drugs. Yeah. So when I realized, you know, my dad couldn't control me no more and he couldn't abuse me and he couldn't hit me. Um, and that was part in fact, because, uh, he, we used to play fight. We used to spar. He taught me how to fight. And so one time we were sparring and I gave him a rib shop and he, it, it dropped him and it put him out for like a month. And so he told me no more, no more play fighting. But after that, I just knew my dad couldn't handle me. So then I went off the deep end. And as a kid, I was a little chubby, stocky kid, you know, with no mom, just my dad, a Mexican dad. And I've always searched for acceptance in something. And so I found it in gangs and I found it in the drug community, you know, Um, you're always accepted there, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I went off the deep end and I started using a lot of different drugs. Like? For example, so I smoked weed. I did a marijuana. I, I uh, did speed, coke, acid, ecstasy. Um, never mainlined it, which is put anything into my veins. But mm-hmm. other than that, I did a lot of stuff. So never did heroin, um, and just never put nothing mm-hmm. in my veins. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you were pretty fearless, so Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm too chicken. I, you know, I, it's, it's not that I'm so stuffy. It's I'm too chicken. <laughs> no, that scares me. Thanks. No. Um, so you had a similar downwards Rocio, and so only at an earlier age. You want to? Would you like to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I, all the work that I've been doing now and trying to figure out what might have caused me to go down the spiral. Um, I don't know. I think something growing up as a as a young girl, like seven, eight years old, just I knew something was different about me emotionally, like with anxiety or I just had this like deep set of depression at such a young age and I didn't want to feel that. And so I used I started drinking when I was 12 because my parents would have parties at, at, at home and I would grab beers and I just I really liked to be like rebellious and you know my parents were they loved me but they were more all I remember hearing is what I was doing wrong and none of the things that I was doing good and so I didn't feel good about myself and so I didn't want to feel that so that pain yeah pain and so I did whatever I could and I remember smoking weed at 14 I loved it and from there I told myself you know what this I'm gonna live I'm gonna live that life like I want I was determined to not necessarily ruin my life but I just felt I don't know I just wanted to like be different but in a it sounds too like you were self-medicating Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, to get like, away from the pain of the rejection. Yeah, you know, that's. I've watched you guys with your with your daughter, and you know the <laughs> the love. You know, she it's and I and I because she's good. She's very well behaved. But our <laughs> our readers will see her adorable picture in the magazine because yeah, she's just yeah. a doll. But you know, it's clear. You know, we we learn from our parents' mistakes. I used to tell exactly. my kids all the time. You know, yeah. you didn't come with an owner's manual. Learn from my mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know. 
And so, you know, that's that, although your parents probably didn't realize they were doing that to you. Well, yeah. And, and it's none of the, it's not their fault because I don't know how they were raised. And so they were showing us what they knew, like of raising children. And so that helped me now to be more open with my daughter, talk to her, um, praise her for things and um, just doing what, not doing what my parents might have did to me. It's not like they didn't love me, but they're just going through their own stuff that it was hard. It's It was just, I felt kind of just like alone. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes sense. So Sam, when you were, when you were involved in drugs and, and hard drugs, as you said, um, you were in trouble with the law, you were in and out of jail. And during one of the times when you were sitting in your jail cell, you made Excuse me. And I said I wasn't getting the flu in my <laughs> Not allowed. Uh, you made a, a major decision in your life, although the wrong way. You decided to become a gang member. Yeah. So I've been incarcerated since my younger age. I was a good kid. You know, I did mm-hmm. school and wasn't in trouble. And my brother was a really big troublemaker. I didn't want to be like him. But at the age of 18, I went off the deep end. And so that's when I first got incarcerated. So all my time majority of my time has been county time but since the age of 18 all the way to 37 when i actually changed my life and let you know hold held on to god's hand i was in and out of jail um at least once a year with gaps little gaps between there where i wanted to try to do better but um yeah i decided you know like i'm i'm gonna be a gang member you know i'm gonna roll with these guys you know and and being incarcerated that's generally what you do you find your people you know, and you join them and you do what they do, you know, and, and stuff in jail is not always good. You know, there's bad stuff involved mm-hmm. in that, you know, you're, you have to do this stuff once you're committed. And so I decided I was going to be part of that, you know? And then after that, it was, you know, I came out and I was a gang member, you know? And so I lived that life as well, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that comes with that robbing, stealing, you know, mm-hmm. um, thugging, and but I liked it. I liked the adrenaline. I liked um, people knowing who I was, mm-hmm. you know, and and just the empowerment of saying, "Hey, this is who I am," mm-hmm. you know. And so I was, you know, I was a northerner, and that's where I explain what that means because you actually so, grew up in california i grew up so in california northerners so, and southerners so hispanics and mexicans are separated in, in two and so it's the norteños and the sureños which are northerners and southerners and so i was a northerner because i was from northern california you know mm-hmm. and sureños were from south and so um yeah that's where the hispanics are separated you know and there's a rivalry you know mm-hmm. and it's not only in jail in jail so in in county jail, they're separated. Um, in prison, they're all in the same yard, but there's like a, there's a respect there, you know, unless people pass bound, step boundaries, you know, there's a, like a protection mm-hmm. code. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, and that's who I wanted to be, you know, and that's who, they accepted me. They said, yeah, you are, you could be part of this, you know, and it involves working out, you know, and it involves doing homework. It involves a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I was okay with that because I wanted to be one, you know, yeah. and my but, brother was one. Yeah. Was, it, was it also about safety and protection? Yeah. Part of it is safety and protection. You know, I didn't want to feel alone, you know, and, and I'm being Mexican. My dad's Mexican and I'm Mexican. I'm Hispanic. My mother's white. She's white and my dad's from Mexico. 
those were my people. And I just knew I wasn't, my brother was a Norteño. And so I was like, I'm not going to be a Sureño, you know, that's no, you yeah. know, those guys, yeah. we fight those people on the street. So <laughs> The, the things we're learning today. I know. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I mean to step on your interview notes, but you know, it's like, hey, I want to know more. So, and, I, and I'm so shy. So, your daughter was born when you were doing math. Is that correct? And I, she was conceived um, when I was on math, and then I was about nine weeks pregnant when I, my body, I, I wanted to keep using, but my body didn't want me to. And then during that time, I was in and out of the hospital because I was no. Not only was I having morning sickness, but I was detoxing, and it was one of the hardest things to ever go through because I felt like I was dying. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in the hospital, like, and I still remember this moment because it's like, for the longest time when I was using, I was waiting. I was telling myself, "I'm gonna wait for that sign." When I see that sign. I'm just going to wait for that sign. And so I knew one day it was going to happen. And I didn't know that that was going to be it. That I was in the hospital. Just, I didn't speak the words, but I was just like, I'm tired. Like, I'm tired. I got to do something different, you know? I don't want to have another daughter and lose custody of her also. Because I also have a 20-year-old that I didn't raise. And I was like, I do not want to make the same mistake. So I was like... Okay, I guess that's it. This is, this is, this, here's your sign. This is my first day of not using. So let's go back to when you were, when you were pregnant with your oldest daughter. Mm -hmm. You were, you were both trying to be good at the time. Um, but you got caught up in the cycle of getting arrested, going to jail, getting released, trying to do good, but failing, getting arrested again. Why couldn't you succeed? Is that, was it, was it the mindset? This is just the life I've chosen. Yeah, kind of how Sam, like, chose to want to be uh, in a gang i kind of wanted to be an addict i don't know what it was i was curious before i ever used the hard drugs you know and once i tried it like i didn't really like it but i i was an addict so i knew i was going to continue using it but i was always curious about it and i knew i wanted to try it but then once i did it i was like that was one of the biggest mistakes I could have ever done, you know? And I think back, like, why? But that's just how my life played out. And So what would, if, if you were to run into yourself, or if you run into a teenager or a young adult, that you see those same tendencies, what would you say, what would you say to yourself? What would you say to them? <sighs> that's, I never really thought about that. Because there's, you know, I work in a retail store where there's, you know, people that are like almost 20 years younger than me and like, I don't know, I just try my best to like guide them, but it's hard because at that age when somebody would tell me something, I just, yep, I didn't care to hear it, you know, and I, but I try to, I don't know, I just try to be sincere with them and, and let them know that like, that's not the best decisions. But I sometimes people have to make mistakes to, yeah. to, to learn. And, and so, but I, that's one of the focuses when I, of me graduating from college is wanting to help others. And I don't know, care who that is. I want to help. I just want to help because I know that a change is possible. And so, yeah, when I see associates at work, I just, you know, not be mean to them because I know some people are struggling, but I have a better understanding. Yeah. 
And yeah. sometimes we have to just lead by example. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Sam, take us back to, uh, I, I believe it was the afternoon of October 12th, 2017. <laughs> you were you were drag racing a guy down the freeway. And I have to clarify, this is the freeway in Central California, not here. But briefly tell me about that and how and how that that incident totally changed your life. So, yeah, I was racing on the freeway. I had just got off work and I had a trunk full of cars. I had a Mercedes a 230, uh, 230 compressor. And so we were going and uh, I was going pretty fast. I was probably going about 80, you know, and, and then uh, I seen a, in my rear mirror a little Honda, you know, and I was like, ah, he's not going to pass me. So I sped up. I was probably going about 90, 95. And he got stuck in the far lane, the fast lane, because there's two diesels and... Uh, I knew that the, the slow lane had an open cut. So I was like, oh, well, he has to stop. So I won, you know? So while I'm passing these diesels, he cuts right between two diesels. And he was going so fast that he would have gotten pinballed in between those two diesels if, if I wouldn't. So I pulled off to let him in, but I hit the shoulder and I hit gravel. And when I hit that gravel, I lost my rear end. And I, well, I slid out. Mm-hmm. So I started... uh drifting on mm-hmm. the freeway and I was going about 80 probably 85 miles an hour at least and I just remember clear as day you know and and I know it's the Holy Spirit that was speaking to me because you don't just think like on instinct and I heard lean your seat back as far as you can and so in, an, in a car accident things slow down so I was going sh- I was drifting on the freeway about to hit a guardrail and all I could think was lean your seat back, lean your seat back. So I lean my seat back as far as I can. And I hit this guardrail and it hit my passenger front tires where I initially hit it and it catapulted me. And I did a, a front flip. And I remember very distinctly hitting and I was thinking, this is going to hurt. And I uh, opened my eyes and all the glass was breaking and I could see the road from my front windshield and I was just holding back, leaning back, you know, and I flipped and I probably landed, I don't know, 25 yards, 50 yards away from where I initially hit onto a secondary guardrail that was there. And I landed T-boned on my passenger side. And I just remember opening my eyes and I'm like, man, this is bad, you know? And, and, and first thing when you get in fights and you learn, I started feeling my body, you know, feeling my face, feeling for broken bones, hoping nothing was poking, popping out and nothing. My ribs were hurt. They were, I think they were bruised. So I jumped out of the car. I pushed the door up, which is really heavy. I pushed it up. I jumped out, you know, and my engine, it, it, it tore my engine, my transmission out of my car. And it was sitting on fire where I initially impacted. And I ran over to it and I was wearing a neon green shirt and people stopped and they thought I was, um, you know, freaking out. I was just going to lose it, you know? And I'm like, I can't put it out. I wanted to smother the motor and put the fire out, you know? And I heard sirens and everything. And I just looked at the people that had stopped and I said, I have to go. I have warrants. And I took off running. Oh, wow. So I jumped this fence, you know, I jumped this fence and run into this field and there was some people there and, and, and uh, I uh, said, hey, give me a ride, you know, and they could only give me a ride down the street because there was highway patrol and sheriffs and they sent up the CalSTAR helicopter to look for me and they were everywhere. And so I took off running and jumped. They dropped me off at a rooster farm and I ran and I'm like, hide me, you know, telling people hide me. <laughs> and uh, 
then I jump a fence and I'm right by the highway patrol station. So I'm like, ah, so I keep running, you know, and I ended up running. I ran for a while. And then I finally got to a location where my, my house, so I had a trailer in my dad's yard and, uh, it was a like probably 200 yard sprint. And there was, I, there was cops everywhere and they knew my car cause I had evaded cops in that car. So they knew who I was. So I just did a full sprint and jumped the fence and jumped in. And about five minutes later, they surrounded the yard. They knew where I lived. I just stayed there quiet, you know. And they didn't come in. You know, they had to get warrants and stuff. So they didn't come in. And, and in the morning, I just, you know, my boss showed up. And he's like, hey, let's go to work. And I'm like, I can't go to work. You know, cops are looking for me. And, but long story short, I ended up evading the cops for another about a month, two months, you know. And. Highway patrol, I had to get a hold of highway patrol because the car wasn't actually registered to me as registered friend and, and he had to tell who I was because they wanted to arrest him. And the highway patrol went and actually talked to him. He said, hey, he goes, I'm not, I don't believe in faith or I'm not a believer in anything. He goes, but something was with you that's not of this world when you wrecked because you should be dead. And he told me, have you seen your car? And I'm like, no. He goes, did you, I look for you in hospitals. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm okay. You know, like nothing happened to me. And he's like, dude, you're you're lucky, you're blessed or something, you know? And, and I saw, I actually got to see the car and I, I went back and took pictures of the car. But when I went to jail, I decided, you know, like, I'm not going to challenge the Lord. He's given me so many opportunities that I'm not going to, you know? And so I decided I was going to put my faith and my love and everything into God, you know, and let him, let him guide me Mm -hmm. in life. And so that's what I've done. That is absolutely incredible that you walked away from this accident. To God be the glory. To God yeah. be the yeah. glory. You know, and I've seen the picture. Matter of fact, we have a picture of mm-hmm. the car in the magazine. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> when you said what that it was a Mercedes compressor, mm-hmm. I have a girlfriend that used to drive that very car. Yeah. It, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know what he was driving. <laughs> it, it was a pretty car. Yeah. It, was, it, was it, was. car. <laughs> it was a beautiful car. It was a beautiful car. How how absolutely amazing that you walked away. Do you have injuries today? I mean, do you did, no. it, did was there any no. residual? No, I bru- I bruised a couple of ribs. Like they kind of hurt, but that was it. You know, and it, and I just walk. I ran away from it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's adrenaline. <laughs> that's adrenaline. So my, I have to be honest and tell you, my my youngest son and his wife um, coming home from Christmas rolled their car. Oh. Um. Mm-hmm hit black ice and hit a culvert and went end over end and amazingly walked away. But trust me, here we are a couple of weeks out and they're still very, very sore. So, yeah. you know, it, but, but like you no no significant injuries. So that's awesome. So, you know, this doesn't happen very often, but we have run out of time for this week, but we still have a long ways to go. So would you guys come back next week and let's do this and finish this up? Because you have such a powerful testimony. I don't want to miss any part of it. So can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yes, of course. So I was going to say, you have to say something because <laughs> they don't hear the marbles in our head rolling around. Sorry. You can't hear nods on the I radio. Know, right? <laughs> I, do, I do it too, though. So we, we have, that does bring our time to an end for this week. If you can't wait till next week, pick up a, a, the most recent copy of Christian Living Magazine at over 600 locations in all of Southern Idaho. Or read us online at christianlivingmag.com. We invite you back for part two of this very exciting interview, folks. We know it's going to encourage you with hope and inspiration. Until next time, God bless. 
This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout Central and all of Southern Idaho. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.